Welcome to Talk of the Town, a podcast by the Town FC, where we have candid conversations with Bay Area athletes, sports influencers, and individuals pushing the game forward. I'm your host, L. Johnson. This week, we sit down with Richmond's own Sali Ghana Muhammad to discuss his soccer journey as a kid from the Bay and what he's doing now to create impact in his community. Tune in. Sali, what's good, brother? How you doing? Good, good, man. How you doing? Man, can't complain. It's been a it's been a busy week, but you know, happy to have you here. Happy to finally get you on. Um, really interested in, in learning more about your story. So, kind of kick it off. Like, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? You know, where mm-hmm. where you're from. Um, tell us a little bit about your origin story. How you fell in love with the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I started. Uh, so I started playing soccer at seven, but I have been around sport in general just pretty much my you know my whole childhood. Um, you know, my dad was a basketball player, nothing serious, but I bounced around, played like a little, a couple different sports, baseball, football, basketball, um, and, you know, I got into soccer. My dad wanted me to play, um, because it would help with my footwork in the off season for basketball, because his love was basketball. Um, and then I, not, not only did I fall in love with it, I think he also loved the idea of me just doing something a little bit different, um, which I, you know, even I think like because it was enjoyable being a, a black soccer player, but at times too within that you're still a little isolated because there aren't a whole bunch of brothers playing and stuff like that, especially even on pro teams. And not necessarily like there are brothers. Sometimes you get like Af- African brothers, Caribbean brothers, and stuff like that. Um, and we have shared experiences and stuff for sure, but um, not so much like African American. Uh, soccer players but um so you know I started playing at seven um just played around the bay area played for different club teams locally that you know uh, my dad and me felt good about and felt like I was developing with um and then I went to Europe at 16 um lived in Croatia and played there for about four years off and on um did a couple trials in different countries Austria Germany stuff like that played in tournaments in different countries, Bosnia, France. Um, and then I came back home at 21, signed the contract in San Francisco, and then played in Pennsylvania after that. And then New Mexico in the half a season in Oakland and just recently retired. And now I've been farming and uh, with the goal to have a commercial scale farm and I've been snowboarding. Um, and I want to go pro in another sport now in the second sport. And also, I just want to get more black folks out out there on the mountain, man. It's a lot of fun. So, you know, take life is taking a, a new path right now. And, um, you know, I'm in the beginning stages of, you know, building things out. And it's a little bit different than when you're a kid. You don't really think about all that you have to do and all the years that you got to put in in order to get to a place. But I think, like, my journey as a soccer player is invaluable for me um, now attempting to achieve new goals because I I can take so many of the lessons um, of growth, um, how to practice, um, and all these different habits to kind of like, not shortcut things, but like speed up the development process, you know? Um, so it's been pretty cool, man. I can't complain. Yeah, for sure, man. That's a lot to unpack there. We're going to get into it. Um 
So let's start like on on the youth level. You, know, you mentioned that you played play for a few clubs. Um, you know, your dad. It's really dope that your dad like put you into soccer mm-hmm. to kind of you know work on your footwork for basketball. Mm-hmm. Usually, um, we see like the opposite, right? So yeah. like these are soccer players who end up playing other sports to kind of yeah. you know help them on the soccer field. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of dope to see the inverse of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but talk about like the climate of um, youth soccer in the Bay Area. You mentioned mm-hmm. you played for a, a few clubs. Um, mm-hmm. You're usually probably the only like African-American mm-hmm. person on the team or mm-hmm. black person on the team. Talk, talk about your experience with that. Yeah. I, like early, so early on, especially uh, in Richmond and whatnot, like the teams were predominantly Latino and there'd be a couple of brothers here on, on the team here and there. And a lot of those brothers that I, I did meet at that age are still my friends to this day. So like lifelong friends. Um, and, you know, I think with a lot of those teams, it was cool. You know, like I feel like the Latino brothers, they were, you know, I feel like we shared a common, there was a lot of common interest and cultural crossover mm-hmm. from different things. Not everything, of course, but like definitely, I mean, you know, when we talk about American culture and we talk about the exports of American culture and pop culture is predominantly black people, you know? Um, and so I think that played a factor in that that connection being built, but also, the, you know, that I did love soccer, you know, and they also, I think they understood too that black folks do play soccer. And I, I think like, um, you know, cause these teams in Mexico, they be having Colombian players, you know, they be having players all, from all types of, you know, South America, Latin America. So they grew up watching those teams and they saw that, you know, they're black players. And so as opposed to, I think in a lot of other circumstances, you know, that may not have been the case. And so, Growing up, it was, it was cool, like the culture and the environment for the most part, um, especially early on. Um, I think the hardest part was just finding like good coaches and good development programs, you know, and places where, you know, like I, they were teaching you the fundamentals um, and the strategies of, a, of the game to integrate you into the professional environment. You know, I think. I think the biggest thing, especially for youth, is like trying to capture that magic of their individuality and um, their ability to improvise while also teaching them early on that if you if you want to make this a profession, there are certain there are certain structural things that you have to understand. Like if you're playing AAU basketball or football or whatever, you know, you got to you got to understand understand the tactics, schemes, and you know play calls, and you know all these different um, all these the small factors in becoming a pro. And so you know, unfortunately, like when I was growing up, there weren't many pros coming out of the Bay Area because there just weren't many pro soccer players out of America in general. And so um, you know, we bounced around a lot trying to find the right environment and trying to find people who you know. I could really learn from. And then as I got a little bit older, I started to play on travel teams, you know, played in some of the bigger tournaments in the country. At one time I was playing for a team that was one in the nation. And, but that, that um, team was interesting because the coach had his own construction business and he was, you know, pretty well off. And so he was funding a lot of the travel. He was funding a lot of the things like, you know, when now when we talk about removing that pay for play system in soccer 
and allowing kids to just play for free and develop for free. Like I had that experience, fortunately, through that. Um, and so we got to go to really big tournaments and a lot of other stuff, like free of charge, which was really good for me because, you know, iron sharpens iron and playing against better teams, better players and playing and then playing for big tournaments and stuff, you know, and playing for stuff that matters. Um, that's a key component in the development process because I also think people need to learn how to win. Um, and, yep. you know, sometimes I could get overlooked. So not, not overlooked. Sometimes I think we focus too much on that actually, you know, instead of like the development process. So, you know, it was tough trying to find the balance, um, you know, and in the Bay Area, especially when I was coming up, it was still a lot of club teams with like, you know, somebody's uncle or dad or, you know, some British guy who, you know, I mean, no knock on them, you know, I'm sure they're good players at one point in time, but um, I think they saw a business opportunity more than anything. And so I think what ends up happening is like, they take control of these clubs and they see that there's opportunity to make money and there's opportunity for them to wear all these different hats and like justify the money that they make. And so then I think they just don't have the capacity, um, honestly, to like really focus on developing players, you know? And so um, I think there are a couple of clubs out there, youth clubs who are doing that now. And then of course you have the MLS academies, but I still think, um, I still think like we still have a long way to go, you know, in terms of really understanding and finding um, and finding that sweet spot in player development, you know. No, for sure. Um, and you to that point, you were actually able, you know, to be recruited to, you know, Dinamo's the Grebs Academy, which is one of the more elite academies in the world. Um, coming out of the Bay and coming out of, you know, that deficit in in elite training. Um, can you tell us about like how that recruitment process happened? Like how you got on your radar? So I, um, so I had known Benno and Yvonne for a while, um, just because, you know, I was playing pickup soccer all the time and, you know, I was like one of the only places to really kind of, like, if you want to go play, if like, if I hit up my friends, my partners is like, yo, let's go play some soccer. You know, it wouldn't have just wouldn't have happened. You know what I mean? So I like, I was searching across yeah. the Bay for pickup games. And once I got of age, you know, I was just Berkeley and Oakland all through wherever, just trying to find pickup games, you know? So I met them uh, through that and through mutual friends. And then Yvonne made a friendship with the Academy director of Dinamo Zagreb somehow. And they would come to America and do like American tours and just do camps and stuff like that. And through that camp, I ended up meeting, uh, I ended up training for uh, a youth coach there at the time. And, you know, they were like, oh, you know, we promised that we're going to invite two or three players from each camp over, you know, because they didn't want it to feel like a gimmick, you know. So they're like, oh, you know, let's yeah. make it seem like this relationship is real. I don't think they're really counting on me making the team. But, uh, you know, so I'll go out there. It's a two-week trial. Um, and after the first two weeks, the coach was like, oh, yeah, I want to see him some more. And so I was like, you know, all right, cool. You know, and so we extended my ticket. My friend Yasuo came out there with me. Oh, one second, let me. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, and so then we, 
we extended the trial. I mean, we extended the flight another week. Um, and then the next day, actually, after we extended the ticket, the coach came to us and was like, yeah, you know, actually, you know, we're not, uh, we're not going to extend it. You know, it's okay. Da, 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 da. And, but we're like, you know, my, my, my boy Yasko, who speaks crazy and was able to, you know, basically like, look, man, like we don't have, we already bought the ticket, you know, we're staying, can just let me train for the next week. He's like, all right. And so I ended up training for the next week. I uh, ended up getting top score in the tournament on the weekend. And then uh, <laughs> after that, he was like, oh, yeah, uh, he's staying. So I ended up staying. Um, and, you know, that experience going to Croatia was interesting because, you know, when we talk about that development, you know, and, and the game understanding. And you know, sometimes that's a dangerous thing to say because it can also, like, people use that to determine somebody's cognitive ability. And then, mm-hmm. you know, especially in basketball and football early on, you know, if you're black, that, oh, he's just not, you know, he's just not that game intelligent, that, yeah. that game savvy, whatever. He doesn't understand the game that well. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And so, like, but I did lack, um, like, I didn't benefit from the years of, of training and having an institution that had been through decades, that had existed through decades and had been developing players through decades and been building relationships with other European clubs through decades and all this other stuff to build this level of knowledge and have this pipeline. Like, I think, you know, so I, with all the limitations that I did have, I still, like, went there and I held my own. You know, I could have, I wanted to be more dominant, you know, but even still there, you know, I, like, it was still, I was by myself. My family didn't come with me, so I moved to Croatia. I was alone. And um, so, you know, I still, like, and I think even looking back, even if I went there with that deficit, but I would have had Yasko and my dad there, it would have been a complete different story because I could have had somebody advocating for me and also trying to find people to, you know, like, hey, this guy needs training. What does he need to do? You know, and so I was like working hard and doing a lot of stuff on my own. But like when you're a kid, like, you know, you don't really know what drills or things that you should be working on. You're kind of still working on in your comfort zone. You know, you're not really like, okay, I see that I'm deficient here. So let me work on this. Like, what are some drills that I can do? You know, so I was training hard, but I was training a lot of my own still. And so um, I also couldn't play games. Because FIFA had this rule where if you're under 18 um, and you move to a European country or a new country to play soccer, if your parents didn't move with you and were living there uh, permanently, then you weren't allowed to play. Because what was happening was in France, especially, but in other countries, agents would go to Africa, bring like seven or eight players over from Africa. Their the kids' parents would you know scrape up whatever money they could and pay for the flights and everything else and pay these agents and trust these guys. And um, maybe one out of the eight will make it. And then the rest of them were stuck in France, you know, with no money to get back, no place to live and all this other stuff. So like the rule was a good rule and it needed, like it needed to happen. But I would, unfortunately, like I had literally came the year after that because the year before that, um, there are Americans there in, under the same situation as me and were able to play no problem. And then when I came, it was an issue. 
which like yeah, that hurt my development as well too because like in the course of two years I played like six or seven games had I been allowed to keep my momentum going and still like train and play on the weekend it could have been a lot different so you know there's a lot of factors you know that went into just that situation maybe not me get, you know breaking into the first team like that and you know I think mm-hmm. there's also some nationalism that came um, from just having a black American you know, they're in their academy. They took it, like, with that academy is the biggest in Croatia, one of the biggest in Europe. Like, they're producing top players, like, yearly. You know, Luka Modric, Mateo Kovacic, Josip, like, even to this day, you know, Danny Olmo, yeah. like, all these. So, like, they, like, they have the history of that, but they also, like, they're going to defer and, you know, choose they're uh, the players that you know are Croatian that they you know identify with so that was a that was an obstacle as well um but you know overall like I don't regret the experience because outside of the football I really got to discover who I like who I was as a person and discover a new sense of uh, a new identity and a confidence because you know I moved to the country at 16 you know and like not only was I like living, I was thriving. You know what I mean? Like I was, yeah. I was finding my way. I could get wherever I needed to be. You know, like I was, I was even like, it was crazy too because I was getting in the clubs at eight, like 16, 17 years old. You know, like I was like, you know, talking to older women and stuff. So I'm like feeling myself, you know, and like it was just a cool experience all around. You know what I mean? And like I was away from home and. You know, so I, I developed like just more confidence, way more confidence in myself because of uh, because of that situation also. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that, like how you were able to navigate being in a foreign country alone, mm-hmm. you know, at 16. Yeah, man, I, I think like I think awareness was a big thing, you know, making sure that I like my uncle was like, have your head on the swivel, you know, and like making sure like being attentive to my environment, you know, and being able to have my pulse on the energy in any given moment and just trying to make the best decisions at at the time. And, you know, I think extending myself to meet people helped too, you know, not like I could have went there and been like, oh, I'm just going to kick it with who I'm comfortable with. And like, of course, like, yeah, you know, I was more comfortable with the American players and stuff like that. But like, you know, I'd kick it with whoever, you know, and sometimes it was a little hard because there's still that, there's still like, um, you know, in Croatia just aren't a lot of black people, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. like, you know, they just not trying to vibe like that, you know, and like, it's cool. You know, it, it, it is what it, it is what it was, but, you know, I still like met a lot of cool people, even within that. I was able to learn the language just by like being there and listening. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm rusty now, but like, yeah, I just hung around and like really, like was really, really have like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Like, I never went to school for the language, but like, I was able to like handle myself in a lot of the places that I went, you know, and I didn't really have an issue. Important. Yeah, and so like that, you know, it taught me a lot, man. And like, you know, the football, you know, of course, taught me things within itself, um, but like the off the field stuff, I think was the greatest treasure of it all. You know, like, man, just chilling in cafes, you know, um, 
being able to see different parts of Europe and, and, and whatnot. And like Europe's cool, you know, like I, I, like I think it's a cool continent, cool countries and stuff like that. But like, you know, it only, it only like, I think it was good because it also pushes me now to be like, look, I've been in Europe. I want to go to Africa now. I want to go to Senegal. Yeah. You know, like I want to go, like, let me go get a different taste of what other countries are doing and how they're approaching life. And like, I did like how creations, approach life too like you know i think they had a slower pace to it and like mm-hmm. i grew up in california so you know like everything was like wah, 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 you know like hop on the bar get to where you gotta go do what you gotta do get home you know and all this other stuff and so like being there everything was way slower people sat and had conversations they get coffee together you know sundays things were shut down so you had to spend time with your family you know, so like all these different things that like kind of naturally help you figure out what's like what's really important in life. Um, that really, I learned a lot of that. And I don't even think like I was aware of it at that time. I think I was just like accepting it and kind of going with it and then realize like, oh, OK, like later in life, as I got older and start to question myself and what I want from life and, you know, uh, a little bit more like it made a big difference i was like oh okay like i'm I'm comfortable being like even where i'm at now in new mexico where it's similar because they have the spanish influence so they're like a lot slower with life too i'm like i appreciate this mm-hmm. you know a little bit more and how it also changes the people you know because like in the bay area and in bigger cities sometimes like it's hard to like really really talk and connect with people because um like you know everybody's like not a knock, but like everybody's fake busy, you know, like if they can get something immediately from that interaction or whatever, they're going to act on it. But like trying to meet with people, messaging them, like all this other stuff is a nightmare, you know, and like here in New Mexico, you know, I call somebody or if I meet somebody, let's say on the street, we have a conversation about farming or something. And he's like, yo, we got this, this that opportunity or whatever. If I text him the next day, it's like an 80% chance he's going to respond and like, we're actually going to follow through on that conversation, you know? So like, Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, if I'm in California, every 20th or 30th conversation can manifest into something here. It's like every second or third conversation will actually turn into like something tangible and real in life, you know, that I could benefit from and that they can benefit from. And so like, that that's been a big value to me too, to be totally honest. And like, especially when we bringing it back to like the slower pace of life, people have time mm-hmm. and they make time for you and they make time to build those like meaningful connections. So. Yeah, no, most definitely. Um, tell me about, um, so you mentioned, um, you know, being in the Dinamo Zagreb's uh, system, being over in Croatia as a young player, it kind of helped and shaped and molded you. Um, you know, especially in your early life, right? Yeah. How can we how can we bring that type of elite environment mm-hmm. to the Bay Area? You know, through mm-hmm. the town SC or or however. Mm-hmm. Like, what are, what are some elements that you feel like you know mm-hmm. we should or could employ to mm-hmm. kind of create a similar experience here? Mm. I think like for youth development, first and foremost, um, the focus has to be on cognitive and emotional uh, uh, development. You know, and so how can we how can we create an environment in which the youth players are 
their ability to focus on um, specifically, let's say, just focus on one task and do that well. But then also like taking all, all the other elements of stimulation that come from playing the game. Like how can we create training sessions and environments that can mimic the cognitive load that you experience in the game so that you can achieve the flow state a lot easier where, you know, like you watch the best athletes ever do it, right? These guys are in a state of flow. Like watching MJ, especially, you know, I didn't watch MJ growing up, but I'll go back and watch his highlights. Mm. And there's this like state of flow and serenity about his performances. And regardless about how we get, how he got there and stuff like that, but if we can encapsulate that, you know, that's an important aspect uh, to try, really focus on. And then the emotional stability and emotional intelligence is critical as well because especially within soccer, you can get five center backs who, you know, they all five center backs. Some one is six, five, one is six foot. One is a great long distance passer. One breaks the lines better. One is a better one-on-one defender. One is a better aerial defender. Like there are all these different aspects of the game that, you know, um, contribute in, you know, players uh, ability. Right. And yeah. so you're going to deal with small, like coaches make decisions based on whatever, right? Sometimes it's, you know, the good coaches base it off genuine strategy. You have coaches, though, who also base their decisions off of, you know, uh, personal relationships, um, you know, their cultural biases, you know, um, and, and various other things, right? And so through that journey, you're going to encounter that every player will having the emotional stability to be able to, you know, not tie your self-worth and your identity with the decisions of a coach and the decisions of whoever, even if it's in the town FC, like let's say they bump into a coach, a youth coach who's like, they don't really play that much, you know, like still being able to develop the tools necessary, you know, where you're not destroyed or you don't, you know, reach this dark place emotionally because of that um and so developing that aspect of the game is important because you know that's the bit that's the big difference you know i think each player is going to be good at something you know but it's like do you have yeah. the mental capacity to be able to compete to make the right decisions stay calm in pressure moments you know um, communicate well with your teammates all the things that necessarily don't show up on the stat sheet um like how can you like how can we develop that as well and then all the other stuff surrounding technique, all the other stuff, um, you know, surrounding like tactical, they'll they'll be able to pick up because they'll be able to take in the stimuli of uh, of uh, being able to kind of have a bird's eye view of how the game is is flowing or who should be where, and they'll be able to in the technical drill find that place of focus earlier than like a kid who can't, you know, like it may take somebody 30 minutes to really snap into it in the training session, or they may every third or fourth training session, they're good, but then it's not consistent. Like focusing on the mental aspect will help that process, you know, cause it, it has to start there. Um, and I think like that, that takes time and that takes real understanding and bringing in experts as well. You know, because not everybody's going to be able to handle that and, and um, find those solutions in-house. So, you know, I think 
even if it means tapping on people with expertise and bringing them in and then helping them guide what the program should look like is, is critical as well. Um, you know, and I think, I think also like really focusing on making the experience of the youth player as enjoyable as possible. You know, I think, mm -hmm. you know, we want to win, you want to be a good team, you know, and all this other stuff. But like, I think all of that is a byproduct of everything I just mentioned before. You know, I think like, and even if you like, let's say there are people who win and, you know, they don't really create the most, the healthiest environment for their players, but there's no purpose in that ultimately, you know, because like, man, like one or two players from each team might make it pro and the rest of the dudes, who knows what's going to happen to them. You know what I mean? So it's like, we got to be focused on building good humans more than anything um, and making sure that the environment is enjoyable and making sure that the same way that I feel like I learned so much in Croatia, just outside, you know, even though that a lot of that had to do with like my early upbringing and the support that I had. And so like where my mind was already geared to and looking for, like still developing my, my, uh, a better understanding, a better sense of self and developing my humanity. Like we need to be doing focusing and doing that with youth players, you know, uh, first and foremost, having like that as a centerpiece and then building out from there, you know, because like, what's the point of, you know, being a champion athlete at a youth level or even at the highest level if, you know, like you can't talk to your family, you can't sit and talk with your friends, you know, like you don't have your finger on the pulse of what your community needs. Like one of the reasons we love LeBron so much is like, yeah, you're building schools. He has his finger on the pulse of like, of what the culture wants and what the culture needs and what, you know, what a superstar in today's age um, should look like. You know what I mean? Like, you know, even with Kobe, you know, rest his soul, like his transition after basketball was as it was actually going to be, I feel like was going to make him more proud and his family more proud. Mm -hmm. And even the public would have been more proud about that than what he did in the sport, you know? So it's like, regardless of what you accomplish, the sport and the experience that you had, and it should be a tool for you to take into the next chapter, whether you stay in soccer or not as a coach, or even if you do something else, but taking that experience and taking that knowledge into the next chapter so that then whatever your next goals are, you have a set blueprint, you know, to follow. So I think if we focus on that, you know, we'll never lose. Yeah, no, that's a lot of gems in there, a lot of gems, like, especially creating that foundation, that top-down, mm -hmm. legitimate top-down mm -hmm. foundation from mine mm -hmm. all the way down to your feet, where your skill yes, comes sir. from, you know, is going to be super important. And I think it would definitely be um, very important, you know, working with inner city kids as well, like when they're, their self-worth can be tied to, you know, from the outside, be tied to what they have economically. When, you know, really, if you, if you build up their self-worth, whether they have money or not, um, they'll be able to succeed whether they're on the field or in school. You know what I'm saying? Nice. So I think I think those things are super, super important. That's a critical um, point to bring up as well. So I appreciate that. Yeah, most definitely. So speaking of that, um, you know, you you were in the, the Dinamo Zagreb Academy. Mm -hmm. You were able to come back home and play professionally, you know, for the Glens. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you had a, had a stint with uh, Penn FC, mm -hmm. but then also came back to the Deltas um, and, you know, played for Oakland Roots for a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, what impact, if any, did you see, you know, being a pro, being from the area, 
and playing for the local team on, you know, Oakland's black community in the connection yeah. to the sport. It's tough, man, because I feel like what I see, what I feel is like real progress in, in, in terms of community outreach from a club is different from what I, I feel like, you know, what clubs view. I think mm-hmm. it should be like, in my experience, with San Francisco, with Oakland, and then even, you know, in New Mexico with United, like, I think there those are three good examples to look at, you know, I think. So with San Francisco, one of the reasons that, you know, I think they had a good product in terms of, like, the players that they put on the field, the coaches. We won a championship. You know, we had guys who played in the MLS. We had a GM who played for the LA Galaxy, all this other stuff. The product was solid. Mm. But what we were missing was the community aspect. And I think also missing out on looking at what the city truly is. Like, I think they're trying to go about it in a way of, you know, oh, we want to advertise to the techies and we want people with money. You know, we want it to be kind of like with the, like similar to what the Warriors vibe is now, you know, in the stadium at Mm -hmm. least, you know. Um, And that just didn't really get us that far because it's not like, you're not built ready-made into a franchise that, you know, the NBA is a franchise that it's like McDonald's. You feel me? Like if you start a team in the NBA, everybody and their mama going to be out regardless just because, you know, everybody knows what the NBA is. You already got stars in it. You know, it's been on TV. It's, it's the brand is strong. Right. We were in a league where the brand wasn't strong. So we had to develop our own brand and like, they just, you know, the community outreach was lackluster you know, in terms of like um, it being organized and it being really meaningful at times. Like they did some good stuff. We did some homeless outreach. We fed the homeless. We did some different things that, you know, still went a long way, you know, but like, I'm like in terms of, we have to look at our projections in terms like, what are we doing long-term? How are we impacting the community long-term? Like, what are we investing in the community? You know, not looking at it as, Oh, we're investing something to make money back. What are we putting in the community that they will take? And then the people are the investment and the better outcomes of their lives is the investment. San Francisco, we didn't do much of that. In New Mexico, you know, I think they've done a pretty good job of doing that. You know, they started a foundation recently that, you know, they, um, you know, they, they fund multiple programs. They funded the youth academy now. Um, that they have under 23 and um, under 18, I think, um, and, you know, have given a platform to soccer players in New Mexico. They've done all sorts of free community clinics, and that is the main staple of what they do. You know, so uh, putting together clinics at whatever field um, and having people come out for free has been a beautiful thing. Um, you know, they donate to different organizations locally that do small business spotlights, like all these different things where, you know, I think they have a critical understanding of that their success and the community success are intertwined in that, you know, it doesn't have to be a give, a give, uh, like a taking uh, one way relationship. It's a two way, it's a two way relationship that they've been, you know, really cultivating. And then, you know, I think in Oakland, with that place being so close to me, I had really different ideas of like, you know, what, I guess, what power the club could have had. 
you know, for me, I'm mm-hmm. I'm looking at it like, well, we if we get people coming to the games and we get people supporting consistently, like we can have the sort of political power that, for instance, when, you know, maybe like half a year ago when all those schools got shut down in Oakland and they were all black and brown schools, nothing, you know, like I, that was a great opportunity. Yeah. I felt like for a club to say, we're going to use our voice. We're going to use our potential uh, social capital and political power and uh, uh, sav- and if they had any savvy to, you know, take advantage of this and like make sure that people are hearing about this, make sure that people are getting involved. And, you know, even if it's like you don't have to put your name on it, like go reach out to those pro- or people that are already putting the groundwork and say, what can we do? Do we, yeah. do we need to donate money? Do we need to do a public campaign? Do we need like what can we do? Like asking asking people in the community to guide the decision making and and having it be, you know, genuine and, you know, having it be like really, really geared and focused on, you know, how do we serve the community? And like, there are a lot of different ways I felt like in Oakland, I wanted, I wanted the team to get involved and, and challenge them a little bit more. You know, I think they're not doing like, they're doing some stuff and, you know, they're, I think, I think at times they're trying, but I also think sometimes, you know, we don't want, we don't want actions to be performative, you know, like right. we want it to be, you know, we want to see, we want to see tangible change, you know, beyond a couple of like, you know, speaking arrangements and stuff like that. Like, you know, when we talk about mm-hmm. those free clinics that United was doing, we talk about you know, having the foundation that donates to local communities. Like I was coaching a refugee soccer team. They got somebody to donate free cleats, you know, like the free clinics. Like those are the type of things that, you know, people can come to consistently. And those are like long-term view. That can, they could be doing that for another 10, 20, 30 years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, you know, and even with the academy, especially, you know, so I, I just think like, you know, Looking at those three examples, you know, it, it's like if we're able to model ourselves after anything, New Mexico is definitely one place. And I feel like, you know, really being like really having their uh, ear to the ground, understanding what the community wants and what the community needs, you know. Um, and I and I also think like the thing about Oakland as well as a city is that it oftentimes could get viewed commercially as the high fee movement or, you know, and this, that, and the third. And so like, I think even like when people mention the black Panther party, like I think so many people think about the style and everything else of the black, because it's marketable, you know, but not really understanding, like they put in a lot of groundwork, you know, grassroots organizing, you know, going to prisons, going, you know, door to door, you know, feeding people, free breakfast programs, free education programs. You know, they even had a medical facility. Like those are the things that people need. And if you're not providing that, if you know, if it's just like, you know, social media engagement, you know, that's not really mm-hmm. touching people's lives like that. And that was the even thing with San Francisco at times too. It was just like, it felt like, it felt like people who were disconnected we're trying to 
were using their definition of what they what they thought the city was as the guide for what they should be doing. And I think like we, we just got you get gotta go talk to the people. You really gotta go talk to the people. You know, you really gotta get engaged with the people. And you know, I'm talking about like ownership, you know, and, and that's what New Mexico does. The owner is involved in all those decision makings and like he meets these people. He you know, like he's accessible. Yeah. Because like, you know, if it if it's like, oh, we have a community relations director and their job, like they can go and they have ideas for what can be done. But if they like if they're just reporting to a superior and then it has to go up the chain, by the time it gets to the top, it's, you know, either forgotten because it's been too long. The what like what the idea was gets shifted by four different opinions. And so it's just like. It misses out. It misses the, it. It loses the purity of what the idea could have been or should be. Yeah, no, most definitely. Um, it's definitely important to, uh, you know, walk what you talk. Yeah. You know what I mean, and and also listen to the people. Like people, like sometimes feeling philanthropy can be selfish yeah. Yeah. in a way as well. Yeah. Like you're giving what you think people need rather than actually listening to the people. Yeah and providing pro- providing what they actually need so yeah um yeah being an actual ear i think is, is super super important mm-hmm. um and kind of staying on that like what are some things that can be done to better reach oakland's black community when it comes to mm-hmm. like interest in soccer mm-hmm. i think um first thing is like you got to get out there and at the parks Near the black communities, you know, the bush rods, the, um, you know, parks in East Oakland and whatnot. I think showing up at the schools and, you know, um, like, again, I think like what United has done with the clinics and, and you know, we don't even have to reinvent the wheel. You know, it's like mm-hmm. when United has done with the clinics, go to these schools, get, get the kids who have never played soccer before, you know, who like especially because when you go to like middle school and elementary schools especially they don't care that it's soccer you tell them hey half the day you guys get to go play soccer or no the period of each day we'll send the kids out to go play soccer for the town fc and they'll have coaches out there you'll get balls you'll get stickers you'll get x y and z that Mm -hmm. right there in itself creates a lasting experience because what happens is now look um little Sali or whatever, I'm out of class. I'm playing soccer for, you know, for, for, uh, one, for like an hour and, oh, I'm scoring a goal or whoop, whoop, whoop. Oh, they got black coaches and whatnot. Oh, you know, they actually talking to me. They're here. I think starting with stuff like that is critical. Um, and then just building off of that, you know, and figuring out what other needs and what other, what other, ways could we serve you know the community you know how could we get involved like do we need people out there um, you know i don't know like at the community centers do we need people like let's say the school for instance like hey we need more volunteers for this or that or you know how can we open up our um, social network to help make connections you know, um, and find resources that the school may need. Like, let's say we got an investor who's in tech or something like that. And they're like, oh, we need, you know, calculators or we need this or we need that. How can we make that connection? Um, you know, yeah. how can we pa- partner with uh, organizations that already exist um, that, are do- that are doing work in the community? How can we really partner with them 
and you know not just be like a corporate kind of partnership be like a on ground we're standing with you partnership um yeah and you know i think because then at that point we would then learn like uh, what do we need to do you know and we'll have um lived experience of oh, okay so we went to this school we noticed this you know we can do this at this school um I w- or i was talking to you know john doe about um what what this community needs and you know within that conversation there was a couple of things that i think that we could do you know um and you know just kind of building off of that uh, because i to be honest i think there's so many people in oakland who are doing great work already and like they are like so many people are like that are dying for the opportunity to partner with somebody who has the resources that they wish they had access to and to just mm-hmm. listen and, you know, just support. So I think that would be the best way to go about it, to be totally honest. Cause I think people think that they have to come up with the original idea for what needs to be done. And I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I think the, the blueprints exist already and we just got to tap into the people who are, you know, putting into action. Yeah, no, straight up, like work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's already people doing the work. Mm-hmm. Like just tap in with them, give them what mm-hmm. they need, mm-hmm. you know, and keep your feet on the ground. You, you know, feel me? so let's let's jump back into your your pro life for a second. Like, what's one of the craziest experiences you've had? You know, either on or off the pitch as a pro. Mm-hmm. And, and before you answer that, we can even go back. Like you mentioned being out in. Croatia at 16 like I'm sure some crazy shit happened then too so yeah. let's, let's 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 expand it a little bit yeah I, so the crazy ex- experience that I had in soccer well I think two so there was one where they both had to do with visa situations uh on a like kind of yeah so when I was in Croatia um you get 90 days upon entry to be in the country. And after that, you have to leave for another night days before you come back. When I was with Dinamo Zagreb, I had the benefit of having an organization with, you know, the resources and everything else to, you know, kind of take care of me. And so mm-hmm. one day we're going to a tournament in France. And I think I was like, I still was 16 at the time. We're going to a tournament in France. We're at the uh, airport in Zagreb. We're handing in our passports. I get stopped. They're like, oh, you know, something's wrong with his passport. Da, 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 da. Turns out that I had overstayed my visa. And so then somebody from the club had to come pick me up from the holding station. I was in the holding station at the airport, the police holding station. And I had to come pick me up from the airport. We're going to go talk to a judge. The judge gave me the clear, whatever, you know, that I'm sure they probably just put some money in their pocket. It's like, just let it go, you know? And so then... They're like, well, do you still want to go to the tournament? And I'm like, yeah. So I ended up, they gave me a piece of paper and with instructions. And I traveled all the way from Croatia to to this village in France by myself. And so what I ended up having to do is I flew from from Zagreb to uh, France. I got off at France, found myself at the train station, took a taxi to the train station. From the train station in France, I had to go get to La Havre. And, you know, in France, like Croatia, there's a lot of people that speak English. Will they always speak it with you? Is It's iffy, you know, because they're not always trying to help yeah. folks like that. And so decent amount of them speak English. So, you know, Croatia, like 
if in doubt, if you're in the city, you can kind of still get around. If you're in the rural areas, it might be a little bit harder. But like, yeah. so I finally get to France. Nobody speaks English, though. So I'm like, damn. And so I get in the taxi and, you know, he takes to the train station. I fortunately got on the right train. I almost got off at the wrong stop. But there was an African woman who, like, I was like, I was about to get off. And she was like, oh, no, like, this isn't the stop. You got one more to go. So I finally get off there. Uh, at La Havre, and then I got to find the air. Uh, I still got to find the hotel that we're staying at, and then I finally like I asked this uh, taxi driver. I think he finally understood where I was asking to go. Took me there, and when I showed up, the coach was like, "What the hell?" And all the players were like, "Damn, like you really just travel here by yourself?" I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't even like, I don't even remember thinking like I was no like I didn't even second guess it. Like I was just like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go," yeah. you know. So. That was pretty crazy, especially like when I told my family and stuff. They're like, "What?" They're all like, "Man, what? You put yourself in?" I was like, "Yeah, I, you know, they really registered to me till later." Yeah. And then, like, I guess the other situation would be like, so I was, um, so was I coming back from Holland at the time? Yeah, I think I was coming back from Holland. So yeah, so I went to Holland for three months, um, and you know, this was after. No, wait, was this? Oh, uh, no, this is after I, uh, oh, this is the second time in Croatia. So I did, I did um first two years in, at Dinamo Zagreb. And then I, I went to Holland. Um, and I actually got another story there, too, where I went to Ajax's training facility. Um, and they're like, you know, one of the biggest clubs in Europe. And I just sat outside in the parking lot and I was like waiting for, I ended up waiting for the club president, like literally the, like one of the biggest dudes in football in Holland. Like he was the agent for Wesley Snyder, all this other stuff. And I just pulled up to his Mercedes. Well, we were parked and I walked out and pulled up to him in the Mercedes. was like, Hey, my name's Sali. Like, <laughs> I know this is probably weird, but you know, can I get a, a trial with the team? I ended up not getting the trial, but we ended up driving. He's like, all right, follow me. So we ended up following him. And I thought he was just going to try to lose us as we're following him. You know, I'm thinking like, oh, he's like, he's weird. Because it was me and my boy, Sajai. I, I, he was probably yeah. thinking, oh, these two weird Americans, like, what are they doing? Did it, like, I thought he was just going to try to lose us on the street. Like, you know, run a red light or something like that. And so we ended up following yeah. him, though. And he uh, let us join into this, like, Rondo pickup session of him and, like, all these different, like, OGs in football. And, like, I got uh-huh. to, like, play Rondo with dudes who played at, like, Barcelona. Um, I, I got to play Rondo with this uh, coach named Gus Hedink. And he, like, coached the Dutch national team. He coached at Chelsea. Like, just crazy stuff, you know. And so that was a, yeah. that was a crazy, crazy experience, experience. Even though, like, I didn't get to train with the IXB team, I ended up, like, just, I don't know. Like, it was cool to just go play Rondo with these cats every day and, like, just do something different. And then um, after yeah. that, the craziest thing that really has ever happened, I got deported because I was playing in third division in Croatia. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I'll go back to that rule about the 90-day thing. So what I would do yeah. is I would stay for 90 days. I would go across the border and then come back and get a new stamp. And so it was like if nobody checked hard enough, it, it would work, you know. But I was definitely playing it fast and loose, man. And so, uh, so I'm in like this village in Croatia. And at the time, like 
because I'm playing third division, I had I didn't have the resources of Dinamo Zagreb anymore. So it was just like me and like this local coach and my friend. Thugging it out. Yeah. And so my friend, his dad had played pro in Germany and all this other stuff. And he was really good friends with the first division team in Croatia in that area. So my plan was to play for him and then get a trial with Osijek, who was in the first division. And they're like third or fourth place in Croatia because like the coach, I came over to have dinner and all this different stuff. And so like the opportunity would have come like we we were playing. Um, it was just crazy, man, because like we're playing in like this uh, this cup match. Right. And so like every country has like this like national tournament where amateur and pro teams enter. And, you know, it's just round round whoever wins. Right. So I'm playing, I'm playing well. Like the coach is really helping me develop. It was probably one of the better moments in my soccer career because like I was staying in the village, the coach was looking out for me and like he was really challenging me. And it was like a really like hands-on experience as like a coach, like, like it was centered around, like I was the only guy like out from that village and like I was young, you know? And so he was like, man, this is a great opportunity for both of us. So we're doing really well, we're winning. You know, we're in the Open Cup. Like, he's developing me. Man, and then I play a game, and we win. And then after the game, I get pulled over, like, these two police officers. Of course, because, like, you know, they're going to inquire. Like, I'm, you know, it's a small town. They know everybody. And I'm the only black dude in this town. So off the dribble, they're going to be like, who is this cat? Like, I can't just be anonymous, you know? And so after the game, the cops, they come you know, immigration police or whatever. They start checking my documentation, all this other stuff. And, you know, I ended up, long story short, like I ended up having to leave the country. I get deported, right? And so the agent at the time, though, I'm telling them about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, we, I got these Delta tickets for you. Duh, 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 duh. All you got to do is buy the first ticket from Croatia to Germany. So me and my family buy the first ticket, right? Man, I get to Munich. And I go look for my ticket to get home. They're like, oh, you're not in the system. And I'm like, what you mean? Like two or three times, not in the system. I'm blowing up the agent's phone. No call, no answer for like five tries. Five, no answer, no answer. I ended up being stuck in Munich. And I was like, I got to the point where I was there for like hours without hearing from the agent. And like my family, we didn't really have the money like that at the time. You know, like we were hurting, you know. So it was just like, I don't know what we're going to do. So then I'm stuck and I'm like, well, fuck it. Like, I'm going to just kick it around Munich. And like, so Wells Fargo had this thing where you can like, <laughs> you can overdraw your account and like, yeah. you can just be in the negative. And so I just went to the ATM, pulled out, <laughs> pulled out some money. I was like, all right, I'm going to just kick it around downtown Munich. And I just went, I got some beer and had some schnitzel, went to McDonald's, walked around. I'm lugging around my suitcase and everything. And then we finally got a hold of the agent through a, a, a friend of ours, actually, um, who, like, you know, he kind of figured it out for me. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I got home. And then after that, I was like, all right, I, no more Europe for me right now. Like, unless it's, <laughs> like, you know, like, really funded and, like, official, official. And then I came back. Yeah, and, yeah I ended up <laughs> signing for the Deltas after that. But then, I, you know, I tore my Achilles in my first year, too which is pretty crazy yeah. because like I went through all of that, like literally like I went through all of that. And then when I came back, I was like training on my own. I was, you know, um, doing individual training, saving up money, 
you know, to pay for my way to like do these different combines and stuff. And I got all these different USL opportunities, you know, cause it's different when you're an American or when you're from that country, like it's a lot easier because they don't have to go through all this paperwork and everything to sign you and stuff. So yeah. like, I'm over here like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm funding my way. And I finally, like I've signed for the San Francisco Deltas through an open trial. Like it was like 300 people, you know, how they had like, you know, even like the Santa Cruz words, they'd be having open trials and stuff. Like, you know, they're not really looking for players like that. It's really just like a quick little off season money grab, you know? And so, yeah, yeah I went to the Delta's open trial and the coach was like, damn. And yeah, I made the team. And then literally like I was balling, I was balling and I tore my Achilles, man. And like, I was, yeah, missed that whole season. And then, you know, the team folded and stuff. So the journey's been crazy, man. It's like, I always like, it's like I get there and then, you know, just like I've always had to like just push through. Like that's why like even for me, like playing for New Mexico or, you know, even when I signed for Oakland, you know, and like I, it was a, like they they paid $10,000 for my transfer, you know, which was like kind of mm-hmm. it was wild. Like that, like it still doesn't even happen that much in the USL, you know, like I made history yeah. with Oakland. So, you know, it's like. Even though I would have wanted to play for Real Madrid and all this other stuff, like, man, with the cards that I was dealt, like, and what I was able to do, I'm really proud of myself. And even, like, I was born with club feet, too. So, like, when I was born, my feet were pointed backwards, both of them. And the first two years of my life, I was in a cast, so I couldn't even walk. And, like, in baby pictures, like, I got casts on my feet and stuff like that. And the doctor was like, yeah, like, he probably won't be an athlete. You know, like, don't expect him to, like, you know, you know, be that active or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But like, yeah. God just had a different plan for me. And like that contributed to me tearing my Achilles because when I was young, they cut my Achilles to straighten out my feet. But like, mm-hmm. man, I still got really far, you know, despite, despite all of that, you know? So I'm like, I'm, that's why like when I retired, I was really proud of myself and like, I could walk away. Cause I was like, man, like when we talk about bringing it back to self-worth, I'm like, can no one really tell me shit, excuse my language, but like, honestly, you know, like, and I was like, I'm just tired of trying to fight with people who like, you know, they don't really have the best intentions for everyone, you know? And I was like, if the players aren't going to, cause it was hard to get guys to stick together and fight, fight together, you know? So I was just like, Mm -hmm. it's time for me to make blaze my own trail, you know, really start creating the life that I want for myself, you know, outside of soccer. So yeah, and no, I straight up, your your story is amazing, man. Like, and I, everybody's story is unique when it comes to soccer. And I know there's probably a lot of crazy stories out there. Like this, I've heard some stories about like just the soccer life and, you know, yeah. going on trials and then being stuck in a country yeah. and having to like be in between trials. Mm-hmm. So you got to find something to do in the next, mm-hmm. in the two or three weeks between, mm-hmm. between your trials. Um, it's super crazy. Like it's a, it's a very, very cutthroat business. Um, so what are some ways teams can support players better, like, at the end of those situations, like, if they got to cut a player or, like, in transition? Yeah. What are some ways that teams can better support those players? Yeah, I think, like, one, especially, like, when I was, like, doing trials and stuff, like, like don't lead players on, you know, like, um, like be honest with them, you know, because sometimes teams will just keep players because they just want the bodies, but they don't really have any intention on signing them. So guys just mm-hmm. be there indefinitely for weeks, you know what I mean? And I think that's changing a little bit. That definitely, like, is not cool. 
Um, you know, and yeah, being upfront and also like providing the infrastructure for this, like, let's say you do got a dude who's like, you know, you want to keep around for a body, but you're not really interested in signing them all that much. Like making sure they got a place to stay, making sure they're not coming out of pocket for anything, making sure they got food and every, you know what I'm saying? Like making the transportation easy, like, you know, like, and this is the traditional thing of what teams do, like good teams, they'll do that. You know what I'm saying? Like quality teams will do that. They'll say, okay, look, everything's taken care of for the trial because like, like how are you going to perform your best if like, you know, you coming in for a trial and I got to go eat at Chipotle or I got to eat Chick-fil-A or, you know, I'm worried about where I'm going to stay or all this. Like, it's hard to perform like that. Like you're putting somebody yeah. in a difficult, in a difficult task, in a difficult situation. Um, you know, so I, stuff like that is really important, man. Like, I think it gets overlooked sometimes. And I think, I think another thing is to vetting these agents, like, like, my, my friend of mine, he had a really good idea that, you know, I, I want to make happen one day, but he was like an app for agents where, you know, players can connect with agents, but they can also be rated in, on their experiences by players. You know what I'm saying? So there's like a database of like agents who, you know, they're accept one, they can be accessed. They, they're accessible instead of like the, the database being, Oh, um, Oh, uh, you know, like just mid-level agents or whatever, or like it's hard because like, let's say I want to get in contact with an agent and I'm a good player, you know, but I can't, you know, like have platform that has a database of all these different agents from, you know, individual uh, private agents working on their own or like, you know, big agencies having the contact information, the history, a review of, of like having a some sort of review of uh, of you know their experiences with players, you know um, what they've done before in the past, and all this other stuff, and then also you know giving players the ability to chat as well about hey, you know, like I'm going on trial here. Do you you know like a, a platform dedicated around connecting soccer players and connecting agents and everywhere in between, you know because I, you know, I would, I would have loved to have something like that when I was younger. I ain't gonna cap, you know, like, yeah. Because now it's like you, it's still so much like connection based. You know, you can't. It's hard to like, you got to talk to that person and then that person and that person to make certain connections. Like, if we were to just cut the middleman out totally and just create direct, uh, direct interactions, I think that could help a lot. To be honest, and I, you know, it's a goal that I have one day to, you know, uh, make happen. I think it's a damn good idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely uh, pursue that. Yeah. I think that uh, that's a good, and, and it's useful. You know what I'm saying? Like people, yeah. people run into, especially in the agent game. It's like that's that's just as cutthroat or just <laughs> really? as slimy as if if you want to call it. You I'm know, telling so, you. so being able to like effectively vet them, um, mm-hmm. having unbiased reviews, mm-hmm. you can kind of like oh, I know stay away from this cat. You can exactly. tap in with, with, with other players who may have worked with that agent before, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Especially like in, in Europe. I know I know the game is crazy out there, but yeah, man, it's ugly. Um but yeah, so so let's 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 move along. Like you you're in retirement now. Mm-hmm. Um tell us about what you're doing right now. So right now, um so I've started so started my own farm business. Um I have officially have an LLC. 
I um, got, you know, a whole business account and everything else. Um, uh, I started off with just uh, raising money. I had a GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was farming on a quarter acre in Albuquerque that I, I was able to access through uh, a community program which was pretty cool mm-hmm. actually. Um, and so then I was growing flowers and produce. Um, and you know, bit like a lot of the reason I got into that is because, you know, well, one is, well, yeah. All right. I'll start with, I guess I'll start with the first reason. First reason is like, I wanted to do something different. I was ready for a change and I was ready to like, um, uh, be in control of my own destiny. You know what I mean? And like, I was like, in America, the best way to do that is like, you got to be an entrepreneur, you know what I mean? And like yeah. America is fortunately America is suited to entrepreneurship in terms of tax structure and, you know, um, availability of, of business and all this other stuff. Like you don't need to be doing like, you don't have to be a massive corporation doing big, massive millions of dollars, like in numbers and revenue or whatever, in order to like really cut your, cut your own teeth as an entrepreneur here. And like entrepreneurship is many different things, you know, like with even with you in the media space, um, whatever that space may be, like there's opportunity out there. And if you can carve out yourself, even if you just even if you want like small market, like there's still a lot of opportunity to be had in, in, in um, those spaces. So that was a large part of it because I just got tired of coaches and stuff like that telling me what to do, how to do it, you know, um, critiquing like just like being critical of you know like i had a coach tell me professional coach tell me you know we're up we used to do these things called um gratitude talk so it like he'd get the team together and, and the talk would be centered around whatever topic he came up with like what is your why or you know um who in your family or whatever you know what is your goal for soccer all this other stuff right so after I gave, got up one time and gave my gratitude talk afterwards, he literally was like, man, Sully, that was really moving, all this other stuff. But he was like, you know, if we could just get that Richmond out of you. And I'm just like, bro, what the fuck you mean? You know, so it's always like, right. it, it shows though, because in, in the back of his mind, that goes into his decision making on like, because I always mm-hmm. wanted him to be like, I want the team. Like, I need to be the midfielder of this team. And I played a lot under him, but like, I should have been, he should have given me more and in terms of like, not because I feel entitled to anything just because of the performance, the performances um, dictated that. And, but I feel like after hearing that it's hard because when we go back to um, the personal relationships and the biases around decision-making um, for teams and, you know, who plays and who doesn't, it plays a large factor. And like, they, they're not always aware of that. Because it is, it's just an inherent bias that they just grow up with or whatever. So um, I just got tired of that, you know, and I got tired of like, you know, my experience in Oakland wasn't cool at all. You know, like I, you know, one thing about me, like I, like I'm not going to take shit, you know, like I'm going to speak up, you know, like if somebody ain't doing it, doing something right, like I'm going to make, I'm going to make my feelings hurt. And like, I'm also going to try to, you know, organize people and like get people behind. And like, it was just a challenge to that because, you know, they take advantage of players, of a player's desire to play, you know, like most athletes, they don't want to be doing anything else, you know, which is fine. 
Um, but play, teams take advantage of that. And so then, like, let's say for me, I'm like, I want more money or whatever because of X, Y, and Z. They can get two guys for half of what they pay me, you know, because they're like, there's no incentive to really win like that too, you know? So it's yeah. just like, nah, we, we don't want to offer you that or whatever. Or, you know, if they don't like that, you spoke up against them, like you're just going to sit on the bench and whatever. And so I was just like, nah, you're not going to treat me like this and like, just get away with it. Like, so I, you know, I was just like, no more of it, you know? And so um, I was just like, it's time for me to take control of my destiny. And then I also like, I've also been very interested, always been very interested in like um, just revolutions. And like, mm-hmm. so I read a book uh, about Che Guevara and, you know, he started that revolution in Cuba. And then once they finally got control of the country, one thing they really lacked was a scientific understanding of like how to make the land work um, and how to produce jobs for their people um, and mm-hmm. how to build out the country economically. Like they didn't do everything wrong, but they didn't do everything right. And I think like, you know, when we talk about like really creating a revolution, the first things that we need are energy sources, you know, whether that's uh, energy in the, in the form of food and, and like fuel, you know, um, for the body. We also need energy sources for our cars and for our machinery. We need energy sources of electricity and all these different factors that, you know, I think I was just like, I need to be, I need to get better at, you know, because farming and it starts to tie in. I was like, well, if I farm, I can start my own business um, while also working with the land and cutting any dependency of anything else outside of what I, what I'm building, you know, cause like one thing Americans used to do a lot, um, especially like predominantly white Americans, because, you know, there's this homestead act where, America was just giving away land to folks to go basically colonize and just take, you know, the the land that they had taken from the natives, they wanted people to go move to that land and, you know, integrate them within the economy. So what people used to do is they get a couple acres of land, they build a home on it, and then they start farming it. And then, you know, whatever excess they produced, they would sell. And, you know, some people made a decent little side hustle, extra living off of that. Like the wife would stay at home and she would be in charge of the homesteading or maybe both were doing it or whatever. And so like, you know, that, with that being in my head, I was like, all right, well, if I can produce my own food um, and produce my own resources and learn how to, you know, create a home that, um, produces all its own energy for heat and cooling and X, Y, and Z, even elect, um, even uh, uh, electricity, like even if I was to install solar panels and try to find ways to collect energy and use from the land. And so then, you know, um, those are like the kind of key factors in me making that decision. And I was also like, man, I'm 26. This is the time. Like, I, I don't want to hold on to playing anymore in terms of like just holding on because like, I don't want to do anything else. Like someone's telling me, it's like, man, I think you got a, you got a different purpose now. And so with the farming, you know, my, not only is my main goal to be self-sustaining totally, but I also like, we need more black farmers, men and women, you know? Um, and we, we just need younger farmers as well across the board. But, you know, I want to end up creating the curriculum, um, and integrating uh, young brothers and sisters into the farming industry, teach them the knowledge, give them the tools, um, and a 
allow them to go take that and pass it forward. Because if I go teach five and then each one of them teach somebody and we just keep multiplying like that over time, you know, we're really going to change the landscape of, of our farming practices and also the diversity in farming, which then would change yeah. how we interact and engage with the community as farmers. You know, because so many so many farms now are just commercial scale farms growing corn or wheat or whatever and, you know, not really giving much back to the community. And so or they're not giving anything back to the land as well. Their farming practices are just reaping the land of all of its resources and literally, you know, giving nothing back. And, you know, eventually it's just going to turn it into nothing, you know, no life, which is like. It's counter to how we should be farming and how nature works. And so um, right now I'm in the process of enrolling in NMSU. So I got to take my GED uh, test and I've, I've taken all the practice tests. I've passed them all so far. So now I just got to keep studying a little bit more, make sure I cross that line. And then if I pass all of the GED tests, I can enroll in NMSU and start my studies on conservation ecology, which uh, is essentially just like... Uh, the inner workings and the, the, the dynamics and the laws of the environment. Um, and then if I'm able to do that, farming will become a lot easier because my concept and my framework around farming won't be how do I, you know, make it profitable and X, Y, and Z. And how do I eliminate all these different things? Like I need to kill the insects or I need to, you know, do one specific crop and be dependent on that because that's the best selling one. Like I can have, through creating diversity within the environment, it also creates that diversity and strength and diversity in my business as well. Because instead of being mm-hmm. solely dependent on corn, like let's say my strawberries don't do well, but I'm growing pecans and peanuts or something like that, and they're doing well. And I'm also growing livestock and I got, you know, pork and chicken. And so like creating within the system, the self, uh, it's, its own sustainability. And so, you know, really been focused on that. That's my main focus. And then secondary, you know, my, my goal is to go pro as, as a snowboarder. And which the cool thing is, is like a snowboarding, you know, the definition of a pro is like really open to interpretation. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't need to compete in the Olympics to be considered a pro snowboarder. You know, so the barrier to entry is really just being able to get to the mountain and have the gear. Um, but, you know, so I spent my first year snowboarding after I retired. Me and my wife got into it. Um, and, you know, I'm already doing double black diamonds because I think the intensity that I, I had in soccer, I was easily able to transfer that into snowboarding. And so, like, I've been yeah. progressing really fast and I've been enjoying it. And so, um, you know, I, and I think we just need more black snowboarders. You know what I'm saying? Like, and uh, <laughs> we need more black folks out on that mountain, man. And, like, it's, a, it's so much fun. Like, I, you know... I'm over here just going up mountains, you know, and then skate like snowboarding down big old mountains on a board. It's just crazy to me. And so I really have a lot of fun doing that. Like I have a lot of fun. And it's like, it's also, it's, it's an individual relationship with snowboarding, you know, like yeah. it's what you feel in the moment, how you feel it. And nobody can like, and the environment within snowboarding is hella cool. Like snowboarders ain't on some like, you know, all the so many of the conversations surrounding sports is like nitpicking at LeBron or nitpicking at this or that or like, you know, it's so like combative all the time. And sometimes it can be extremely negative and it's like, where do you rank this person? Oh, whoop, whoop, whoop. And snowboarding, like even at the 
that the top competition is like natural selection. Even after these dudes are competing, they're fist bumping each other. Like they have, like of course they're competing and pushing the like pushing each other's boundaries. But they're like there's so much com- like true true camaraderie in it because it's not like my results aren't dependent on you. It's really just the individual, you know. And I can live with that because at the end of the day, man, like. I, I just needed to be objective, you know? And so like, mm-hmm. and I just have a lot of fun with it, man. And like, so, mm-hmm. you know, not only do I want to get more black folks in the farming, but I want to get more black folks on the, on the mountains too, man. And like, it's a really fun sport. And like, I think we could add a lot of flavor to that sport, man. I ain't going to cap. So. Yeah. Nah, that's dope. That's super dope. It's like what you're doing on the agricultural side and the mission that you have behind that super, super important. Like, the ability to be self self-sufficient mm-hmm. is something that I think a lot of us have kind of, you yeah. know, forgotten about or lost, or maybe yeah. we're never even taught, you know yeah. what I mean? Cause that's, a, yeah. you know, the agricultural industrial complex, however you want to go mm-hmm. get into that. And then on top of that, you know, you got other systemic things that may have mm-hmm. forced us to, mm-hmm. you know, focus on other, other areas of, mm-hmm. of, of economic advancement. Exactly. You know? So it's a bunch of crazy stuff that, yeah. that kind of like took us away from the roots like hate to say it, like we started out farming like yeah whether it's against me? our will or not you feel me exactly. like <laughs> exactly and so i think getting back to that but getting back to it on your own terms yeah. and being exactly. able to profit off it yourself is super important and then the snowboarding stuff is super super dope as well like you need to make a shirt like we need more black people underscore you know what i'm saying because it's it's a lot of areas we need more black doing you feel so me I definitely definitely rocking with you on that as well um so as we get the ready to wrap this up Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're working with, you know, you're part of the town council for the town SC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're trying to build this new club project mm-hmm. in the Bay. What are some impacts that you're looking forward to making through the town SC? Um, I think through the town um, SC, I think the biggest thing is that we, the biggest thing is that we, you know, just be centered and focused around community, you know, and make sure that, we ask the community what they want and what they need from us, you know, and make sure that also the people on our board and the people making decisions, um, we have enough, not enough, we have the diversity that represents the community, you know? So like if the community is 60% black or something like that, or 20% Asian or whatever, like that needs to reflect in, who's working for the club, you know, like the demographics have to, have to reflect, you know, what the city looks like. And then also, you know, like really just being, being motivated by the people and like being on the grounds with the people, you know, and, you know, when I say the people, that's everybody, you know, that's, you know, not being out there and, you know, not looking cool, but like being there and not everything's going to be, put on social media and not everything should be, you know, but like mm-hmm. being in conversation with the people that we truly want to serve and want to connect with, you know, like we shouldn't be focused on, you know, trying to get uh, the wealthy or, you know, to the games, like they're going to come regardless. Like if they want to come cool, there there's always a space for them. Like we know we the focus shouldn't be concentrating on making a space for them. The space should be centered around make uh should be centered around the people in the community who 
otherwise wouldn't be able to come to the game, wouldn't be interested in coming to the game, don't have time to come to the game, couldn't afford the game, whatever. And our, our, our mission needs to be driven by that. So I think as long as we keep that as a North Star, I think we'll be all right. That's our show for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. Follow us on the socials at the town underscore FC. Stay up to date on important news around the club by signing up for our Town Chronicles newsletter at thetownfc.com. And as always, tweet us your comments on the show, any topics you want us to discuss, and more. Peace out.